Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 51 with Matthew Gunnan from Esports One. Matthew had a lot of information to share today, which is fantastic. So for those of you who would love to listen to a very experienced person who's quite vocal and public in the LinkedIn eye, this is a great podcast for you. He's also one of the few people we've had on here that work in the data side of esports and we get into a little bit about why and what problems he's solving and why he's chosen to work in that area. We touch on quite a few different topics around LinkedIn and content generation. We talk about investment in the market and we talk about Twitch competitors, specifically Azubu, who we worked for, and some of the issues that come with allowing your investors to take full control of your company and not leaving the employees to do things themselves. So this was a very insightful conversation. I learned a lot and hopefully you will too. Enjoy. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Matthew, welcome. Welcome. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me, Chris. No problem. You're someone that I've obviously seen quite a lot on LinkedIn and I think most of the um, most of the people who will be listening to this podcast might have seen, you know, the one and only Matthew Gunnan from, <laughs> from Esports One pop up on their LinkedIn. Has I guess before we kick off with anything else, you know, I'm a bit like a broken record on this podcast and, you know, talking in public, et cetera, about the power of LinkedIn and the influence that it can have. Is is it a very important part of your strategy in business? It's been probably one of the most successful um, yeah, kind of pushes that I've ever, in terms of just like building out kind of a uh, uh, more of a, a, a thought leadership persona in esports as, you know, becoming, being in, uh, you know, esports for 10 years or so, 10, 11 years that I have been uh, and kind of seeing the industry grow, you get to a, a point where you're looking at, you know, how can you kind of uh, pr- be more uh, of a, a mentor and be more, you know, helpful to grow the industry outside of just your direct involvement, you know, running a company or running a website. And so, you know, I'm not... I'm not the best at Twitter and I'm not, you know, I'm in my Instagram photos are typically going to be photos of my dogs or, you know, or some sort of computer and, and, uh, you know, people aren't too, uh, yeah, they don't, I don't get a lot of followers from that. So kind of the, uh, the, you know, other direction I looked at was, you know, focusing on kind of writing some more articles and writing content and then, uh, uh, and then doing some, uh, you know, focusing on building out my LinkedIn following. And so that's what, uh, yeah. So we've, I've had really, really good success with it. And, and uh, I'm glad I've started to kind of really focus on it. Fantastic. So, you know, as we do with any podcast, can you give us a bit of a wrap up on how you kind of got into this position of influence? How's your history in, in esports and business and gaming looking? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've been I've been an entrepreneur since I was probably about 13 or 14. Started, you know, started my first company in my parents' house. We uh, uh, ran a uh, uh, my parents lived out in the middle of nowhere, and 
out in the country. And so we had terrible internet and, you know, long story short, I convinced a, one of a local, you know, ISPs to run a T1 line, which was, you know, at the time was uh, one of the fastest internet speeds you could get. And it was like 1.5 megabytes uh, up and down. And, um, and, you know, but it compared to dial up that I had at the time, it was a big upgrade. The only problem was the, the costs were uh, astronomical. I mean, it was three grand a month or something. So I had to mm-hmm. build, built out this, ended up reselling access to the internet because we were out in the country. So the same problem my parents had, all my neighbors had a, a similar issue and did have internet. And so I was able to resell, basically build out like a mesh network and resell access to our, our internet to all my neighbors. And then that still didn't cover all the costs. So I, I started a, um, a web hosting company and uh, that turned into a game server company. And we hosted Quake servers and Counter-Strike servers out of my parents' house. Um, and uh, sold that company a few years later, actually, when I was uh, turned 16 and and uh, decided I, I didn't really want to spend Friday and Saturday nights uh you know, working on a on a little small business, uh, and so I ended up selling on hardware, and so that was my first foray in entrepreneurship and gaming. And you know, I was a tinker, built and uh, all my computers, played a bunch of games. I was also played a lot of traditional sports, and um, went on through engineering uh, out of college. Uh, worked for Rackspace in San Antonio, and that's where I started uh, Leakpedia, and uh, started it kind of on the side while I was at Rackspace, and as uh, you know, probably most of the people listening might be aware, you know, Leakpedia kind of took off. It became a fairly large uh, League of Legends, you know, resource. And so, after about a year of uh, running it, you know, on the side while uh, keeping my full-time job, uh, I uh, realized that you know, 80 hours on on Leakpedia and 40 hours on uh, on my day job just uh, was killing me. And plus, I was really enjoying what the community and what I was doing with Leakpedia. And so I, I left Rackspace and have been in esports ever since and uh, went on, worked at for Curse uh, Gaming for a bit uh, after we sold Leakpedia to them, uh, worked with at Twitch and, with, and uh, you know, throughout uh, kind of the, the broadcasting spectrum of esports. I was uh, a head of content marketing at Azubu, which has some kind of uh, its, you know, Kind of history and peril, uh, kind of uh, perils of uh, disaster that we went through there. But uh, and then mm. uh, was executive or VP at uh, at Unicorn uh, for about a year, and then left Unicorn and and started Esports One about two years ago. So yeah, so a bit of uh, a bit of everything. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, and that's why I think it's you know being in esports, you get to see. You know, a lot of a lot of the people that are kind of, uh, you know, are really kind of getting their feet wet within the space. You know, you don't get if you're just now getting to esports. What was you know so exciting and different and kind of just enthralling about esports? You know, eight nine years ago was you know the community and and the nature of going to an event and being with you know a you know, a group of of individuals you know that were a lot more you know tight knit and there wasn't you know, as much of a, you know, kind of outside influence onto the, into the space, but you could see it's come, mm. you could see that it was, you know, on its way. You could, you know, tell that, that esports was here to stay. Um, but it, it had a much different feel to it, uh, back then in good and bad ways. Um, and so, you know, the, 
you know, the the good thing about having kind of a history in in the space and in esports is you you know remember what it was like before all the, all this you know all the money started coming in and what you know the you know the you know the nights and weekends spent trying to you know kind of uh, you know get people tell people about you know uh, them understanding that you're actually you know part of uh, working in a, a gaming industry and that you're not just playing games all the time and that this has potential mm. and that this is really you know heading into something great and and you know nowadays that's much easier to pers- you know persuade people and help them understand what what esports is what this industry is all about but it's, it has a different feel to it and uh and so that's you know i'm glad i had that history and being able to work all throughout the space because mm. it wouldn't lead to where i am today basically yeah and and identifying especially one part you were saying near the end there is that uh, talked about this a bit on the podcast before about punching up I think that yep. esports and the employees and people involved in this space have been punching up for many years. And I specifically remember a StarCraft 2 forum here called SE2SEA and someone saying on there, hey guys, Christmas is coming up, you know, make sure that you evangelize esports. Maybe you've got a um, an uncle or a family member that's a senior executive at a KPMG or, you know, some kind of some kind of suit and tie wearing company that might be able to bring some interest and some dollars into the esports market. Go and tell them about what you're doing, who you are. Whereas it it feels a bit like to me, and I'd be really interested to get your thoughts on this. That esports is the opposite to VR, where virtual reality. It seems like all the companies are telling us we should care about VR. The graphics cards are labelled VR ready. The laptops are labelled VR ready. You know, a lot of the media is saying, "Hey, VR is the future." Yet. You know, the technology adoption has been relatively slow and the market has been quite small, where I feel like esports is quite often the opposite. Yeah. And I would say, you know, and that that kind of goes back to the starting or kind of really focusing on uh, evangelizing through LinkedIn and through, you know, other forms that uh, that can help tell, you know, if it if it helps grow, you know, my entire, uh, you know, my entire life and and you know, all everything I have is basically in you know esports one and and you know and um, and I've invested it into you know being making esports you know my career for you know as long as I'm here and uh, and so any way that I can you know if it you know help influence and and provide a little bit of uh, you know push to to grow the space whether that's you know spending thirty minutes talking to uh, you know, uh, you know, someone that's trying to, you know, start a company, you know, and then, you know, start an esports company in Germany or Sweden and give them some advice or, or consulting with a, you know, a, you know, a, a big financial hedge fund that's trying to, you know, diversify his investments and, you know, is, you know, speaking with some of the big game publishers and trying to determine, know where they should uh you know focus their attention if that helps grow the scene then that's what i'm you know then then i the time for me is is well invested but it's also you know it, it, there's also you know kind of a personal and a company incentive of of you know putting yourself in a position where you're you're seen as a you know a thought leader and someone that you know uh, you know people are confident in what you're uh and can trust what you're saying because you've been around the block, you've been in the space and esports is, you know, the, the industry compared to VR, you know, five, six years ago was, you know, 
it, it was vastly different in a sense of that esports was everyone knew what VR like you can you can understand what VR is it's virtual reality it's a mm. completely different reality and you tell it somebody they understand it they get it pretty quickly but you know its use case how in you know, how it will you know how they can actually take advantage of it uh, or be involved with it you know that they're they're not as sure esports on the other hand it's hard to it's hard for people to you know to under or really conceptualize that people are, are playing video games for a living and that you know they're sitting you know and and you know and competing playing eight ten twelve hours a day for millions of, of dollars and and so that was the hurdle that we had to get over with east within esports is how do you get people in the same kind of mindset as what they you know when they're thinking of of you know traditional sports but more so when they're thinking of like watching you know all the time spent watching you know game shows on tv or you know the bachelor or these different reality shows you know mm-hmm. that that level of entertainment is very correlated to esports it's just another form of entertainment and what's you know the you know everyone kind of got on that same kind of mind feel or my you know uh understanding of esports is is that versus what is vr compared to it's just another form it's another xbox it's another you know it's another gaming console it's just another form of playing video games versus another form of entertainment that can be both consumed like you can be on a reality show you can be on the bachelor but also that can be you know enjoyed and viewed like you know watching it at home and that was the hurdle that that esports really had to get over and i think now we're we're on the, you know that path to uh of understanding and it's a lot more of a commonplace now and pulling out one thing that you mentioned in there about you know giving people ad- advice within the market i released um some of my thoughts on on that on uh, linkedin uh recently and it was an interesting response but basically to to recap i said that you know i used to make the mistake of taking on every single meeting, people that would come to me asking mm-hmm. for, you know, free advice and, you know, helping people get into the industry and such. But I realized that it sapped up all my time and I wasn't yep. able to actually do work, you know, to make my business profitable, uh, to generate that revenue and to actually continue working in the space myself. So I'm interested to, you know, learn from you. Obviously, you know, your LinkedIn presence is probably anywhere from four to, to five X mine. So you obviously inundated with messages like I get too. How do you balance that time of, of giving out free advice and helping people into the industry while actually getting your work done at the same time? Yeah, yeah, and that's a good question because I had you know uh, I I did I had the same sort of uh, uh, you know issues you know early on as well where you want to um, you know you you want to uh, you know answer every email and and or you know mm. answer every question or talk to every person. I do try to take time to, you know, respond to as many, you know, emails and questions if they're, you know, if I'm able to provide a, a bit of advice or, or um, you know, a quick comment or guidance. Uh, but obviously it's not, you know, uh, it's not nearly, a, you know, kind of possible to, to jump on a call and have, you know, a call or a meeting or, or uh, you know, a one-on-one with someone, uh, you know, every time. So, but I do make a habit of, of every week, you know, uh, I set aside an hour, um, whether that's, you know, uh, I try to split it up either four 15 minute kind of, you know, blocks or two 30 minute blocks. And th- that hour 
um, usually across two different days, I'll, uh, you know, I'll use that time to, you know, jump on a call with a couple of people or, you know, kind of spend a little bit of uh, time with uh, uh, a few people that might have reached out and, and really, mm. you know, how, how that process is goes is, is there's really, you know, it's just, you know, it's kind of just a timing thing. And because I want to at least, you know, what time I do uh, that I can kind of devote to, to uh, you know, kind of uh, meeting with others. I, I, you know, I, I kind of just kind of free will it. And, and, and if there's a, a good kind of opportunity to speak with someone, then I'll take it. But there's not really, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to really dig into what their company is or what they're doing. If it's, you know, most of the questions I get are, Hey, I'm, you know, I have a, a deck that I'm pitching to investors. Can you, you know, review it with me or, you know, Hey, I'm about to, uh, you know, I'm putting on, or I'm about to launch my website. We're trying to figure out how to get, you know, our first, you know, 10,000 users. I would love to get your advice on our strategy or, you know, or can you, how do I, you know, I have my first big pitch meeting with a bunch of, you know, investors in front of their older partners and I'm super nervous and, you know, I'm not sure what to expect, uh, you know, can you help me? And, uh, and those sort of things I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll typically, you know, make an effort uh, to sit down and, and spend a little time with them because more than anything, I know what, what it was like, like, I know how it felt when I was in that situation and I know how, you know, when, you know, when I was raising money for the first time or when I was, you know, trying to figure out how to build a pitch deck or, you know, how to, you know, talk to investors or how to negotiate term sheets, those sort of things, you know, you, it, it just doesn't come naturally. And so the best thing that I had was that I was part of a, you know, I had an accelerator or an investment accelerator, Quake Capital that, you know, provided a number of mentors and that they were, know there to uh you know to answer questions and provide guidance and they they that helped you know that was my helping that was my you know stepping stone there and so understanding the situation a lot of these people are in and if they if i can see that there's some sort of drive and and that it's not just a you know out all out of the blue i want to start a company sort of deal it's a you know this is my you know blood sweat and tears and i'm pushing you know and i'm pushing and and you know this is my one chance or i you know i'm i i could really use some guidance here you know i'll draw i'll typically unless i have something really urgent i'll typically drop everything to you know jump on and try to give a little bit of advice there not because i have all the answers or i know i'm, I'm any more knowledgeable than google or you know googling something or or you know talking to anyone else uh I mean, there's a million people there that know the scene more, or you know, know, know investing and startups and have better advice than I do. But more so, I can relate to these these individuals, and so I'll I'll do what I can to to help. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a good yeah, it's a good and and well structured answer. Uh, found it interesting listening to um, Seth Godin on mm-hmm. Tim Ferriss's podcast, and you know, obviously he's been around in the market for a long time, and you know, made made quite considerable considerable success and he's often replies you know when he gets introduced to someone from x or y ceo he takes a little bit more of a hardline stance than us and he says i don't take meetings and i don't do investment keeping that in mind how can i help you <laughs> yeah so you know sometimes yeah, and, you that's, to, <clears throat> and that's strong. and that's approach that some people have and that's you know and some of the some of the best so 
whenever you know whenever you're pitching or dealing with inv- investors and you're going through the whole you know start of a grind of raising money you know you're you're pitching you know three four investors a day and and going through speaking to probably at the, by the end you have 150 200 you know investors you've hopefully talked spoken to and the worst feeling is when you don't when you you know you really nail a pitch and you really you know you knock it out of the park and you could tell that they're really inspired and engaged and they're asking all the right questions and you know you're 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 basically in you know you're on a hot streak and you can't go wrong and then you know come you know 24 hours 48 hours you haven't heard anything from them and there's no response there's no you know understanding or insight into you know what they're thinking and then you follow up with them and you get a response maybe a day later it says we're passing or or you know this is just isn't a right fit and that can do a world of you know kind of just things to your mind of like you know th- having this whole mindset of oh, wow I just did everything perfect like there's no way that they're going they're not going to want to invest or or at least move to another conversation and then you know and then having you know that that someone tell you no and not proceed without any understanding, you know, any insight mm-hmm. into it. And that, that's my sort of mindset of, you know, I would rather, you know, spend a little bit of time extra. I would, you know, the best investors that I've, I've worked with, whether they've invested or, you know, or not, are the ones that have, you know, spent an extra two minutes um, sitting there, just giving me a paragraph or two outline of, you know, yeah, we just didn't feel that you explained, you know, the market, uh, you know, your market adoption, you know, strategy and how you're going to expand globally, you know, very well. Or your, you know, your financial model didn't take into account, you know, the holiday season and, you know, next mm. year. Or just like just things like that that are, that are specific that I can use to, you know, to make changes and improve next time. And so in the mm. same thing is when you're. You know, if someone if you're if someone comes to you and says, "Hey, I just need you know, I need you, I need a little bit of advice, or or you know, or uh, you know, I have a question or something," you know, give it give it a, you know give it uh, a bit of effort because the biggest thing is like put yourself in their their shoes and how it, how it feels you know be on the other side of it. Yeah, there's there's only a finite number of days and hours in a day, and and so you have to manage your time wisely. So you have to take you know your approach of, and I don't know, there are people that are significantly bigger in size than I am and have, you know, deal, you know, I would consider myself really at the bottom of the barrel in terms of, you know, uh, you know, how, you know, influence and leadership, thought leadership, anything like that. But so I can't imagine, you know, someone like Seth that probably uh, deals with it exponentially, you know, larger than, than I do, but, but also mm. can see, I uh, I hope that like I'm never never at a, a stage where, you know, I, I'm just not I'm setting sort of a a brick wall a, in front of people and saying you know don't don't talk to me unless you know X Y or Z and because I don't want people to ever feel like that um, and mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah I mean it's just a different approach and and you know a lot of people business people out there VCs they they're one way or another is usually very middle there's very few middle of the road they're either you know, very efficient and, and, and the people they talk to and how much time they spend versus ones that will, you know, if it means losing an hour or two of sleep, they'll spend, you know, a bit more time, you know, kind of being that mentor to, you know, those are uh, those that need the advice. 
Mm. Yeah, no, no, once again, good answer. I think that um, I don't want to dissuade people from reaching out, that's for sure, like you were saying. And just I found it really interesting exercise personally because I find it very hard to say to people, you know, no, I can't, I can't chat with you because I do know what it's like sitting on the other side, you know, feeling like it's so hard to get into the industry and feeling like the person who you're reaching out to is you know, kind of blocking that by not answering you or might have the golden answer, you know, to help you get in. But my suggestion for anyone reaching out to someone someone like me or, or Matt is just have A, some specific questions in mind yeah, and B, a specific idea on what, um, what you'd like to get out of the conversation. Yeah. And that's always a fantastic way to start. Yeah, I think that's can- a really good, I think that's a really good point because that's like, be don't yeah if uh, the best ones are are you know hey let like well the the worst ones i guess we'll start that are hey you know i have this this and this can we set up some time set up 15 minutes or 30 minutes for a call next week what does your schedule look like and then you get into this whole all right well now i'm going to have to you know now i'm coordinating back and forth trying to schedule some time and i would rather yeah just like yeah i would rather you know Usually I have just a Calendly that I'll share with people and that's, you know, that will be kind of the availability, but I'd rather someone, yeah, say, yeah, here's my deck. Here's what I need. Here's my question. You know, I need your advice about page, you know, number three. And, uh, and Hmm. yeah, I think, so I think that's a really good point and something that, you know, if more, if that was approached by most, uh, you know, individuals, I think they would get a lot more, you know, a a lot more feedback and they would get a lot more, you know, results from it. Yeah, and it and it'll help you, you know, the person asking the question so much as well. And I've I've done this before, you know. I, I had um even in disagreements, it helps, you know, when when someone's trying to disagree, just have a think about, you know, what do you want to get out of this conversation, and is it worth it? You know, maybe a, a contract soured, and you know, a client said they were going to sign and didn't. Is it worth sending them an angry email about how disappointed you are? You know, what's the upside? Maybe there is because maybe it's a learning experience and you're close enough with them. Or maybe it'll dissuade them from ever working with you again in the future. You know, you need to weigh up that. Or if you're contacting someone like, you know, Matt, who's who's quite busy, asking yourself those questions first will really help you to understand. I mean, it's, it's kind of similar to a presentation, right? They say before you do your presentation, say it out loud first. Because often you'll find that when you read it out loud and you look at it on screen, you've made some mistakes and it doesn't make sense. And it allows you to reflect a bit more rather than first off just asking other people to provide you with the answers do a bit of yeah reflection yeah and and, and even more so than like you know saying it out loud it's uh, uh i i would always like cuz i'm never any any time i would i would do we have we would have demo days and where you basically go uh, at the end of like being at a, a part of an accelerator you would um go and pitch in front of a bunch of, uh, of VCs and you'd go up on stage and have all these lights shining on you. And then you're basically, you know, pitching, you know, you have five minutes exactly or eight minutes exactly to uh, pitch your entire company and to, you know, 200 VCs from around LA or San Francisco or New York. And I, um, and I'm, you know, a week or so before demo day, you would always have to sit with our the partners that are part of the you know the accelerator and you would have to pitch them and and pitch them exactly how you're going to pitch on stage 
And I would always, uh, I could never, I would, I would always pitch, you know, it would be a disaster. Like I would, you know, I could never remember what I was trying to say. I could never get through the entire thing. And it always, and they, and they, the first accelerator I was a part of, or we were a part of, you know, they almost, uh, you know, were like, we're so nervous or worried that you're, how you're going to do on, you know, how you're going to do on stage that, you know, we're not even sure we want to, uh, are you going to, are you okay with going on stage? Are you, are you sure you can, can do this? And one of the partners that was our big, uh, our big mentor and advisor that's, uh, uh, that we actually had on our, our startup podcast early on, um, uh, Glenn, he, um, he's one of our big advocates. He was like, yeah, of course, Matt can do this. He he'll be fine. Just let him do it. You know, uh, you know, we have confidence on it. And, and I went up on stage and, and, you know, and I, you know, ran through it perfectly. It was, it was a really good pitch. I went a little bit over on time and, you know, we had a lot of success from that. And the reason I'm, you know, kind of, uh, you know, talking about or telling the story is that, I was never good about, I, I never had much success like sitting there and just, you know, talking through, talking in front of people in a, when I'm about to present in front of a larger group, you know, kind of like rehearsing it and trying to memorize the lines and trying to memorize exactly, you know, this is what the pitch is, is this is a script. Uh, and I would always end up forgetting my lines. Basically, I would never have been a good actor or anything like that. So I would I, oh, I would I would instead go home and I would just record myself. I would set up a stream, Twitch stream, and I would you know stand up and I would just record myself doing the pitch, you know pacing back and forth, kind of walking back and you know forth, like just in a normal you know atmosphere and versus sitting you know in front of three partners at a big you know round table and and trying to do you know run through like that and putting myself in a more relaxed environment and then. And then I would be able to see how long the pitch was, you know, was the points that I was talking about, did it make sense? Did it flow together? You know, and, and that was kind of, that was how I best prepared. And that was how I best kind of put myself in that environment of what I'm, you know, what to expect. And so I think, you know, uh, have a more of a, uh, uh, you know, a, a long drawn out kind of answer, but it's, you know, you want to be comfortable and put yourself in environments that work best for for you, and always just kind of go back to, you know, just being confident in what you're saying, and people will really, you know, they'll believe in you and they'll believe in what you're trying to get across. Like that was the biggest thing for for me in talking about esports. If if I was confident in what I was trying to tell people, and that you know, and I showed passion and drive, and that people. You know, they might have no idea what I'm talking about. They might have no idea what esports is or you know what what technology we have, but I'm I'm talking about it confidently and passionately. That will at least get them enthusiastic enough to to start you know moving to the next step and doing the due diligence and diving into what who we are as a company. And that's really the goal of the first meeting is I always tell my employees like you're meeting with a partner or a customer or a client or anyone else like your goal that first meeting is to always get to the second meeting and so you know however mm -hmm. you can do that that's what you have to get across during that first presentation is the pitch is whatever i need however i need to present it to them to get to that next that second meeting and that's uh mm -hmm. and that that's what that's what worked for me yeah, I think that's I think that's something good you said. A bit of a great nugget at the end there about what does it take to get them to that second meeting. And during the last podcast, episode fifty, you know, I, I talked about something kind of similar to that in being painstakingly obvious with the brand or investor, 
sitting on the other side too in asking them, what is success for you? What exactly do you want to see out of this and how do we measure that? And I think those two go hand in hand. And, you know, reiterating what I said last podcast is that sometimes I feel stupid asking that question, but sometimes the questions that are bleedingly obvious need to still be asked. And, you know, sitting across to them, and we're literally doing this with a client right now who's, you know, paying us to go out and help to develop their sales offering and start to do the sales for them and just sit down and say, okay, look, you know, the cash flow is great. You know, we're a startup. We're always looking for cash flow and you're a great partner to work with and you've got something cool to sell. But how are you measuring this? How does this become a success for you? And how can we make sure that you're happy throughout that whole process? Yeah, and that's and that's such a good point because that took me a while to kind of get to get to that mindset of um and i you know Me too. and yeah. yeah and like some of the uh, things that i know today and one day i'll probably i'll hopefully write an article and there's a bunch of articles like this but the things that i know today that i wish i knew when i first started off like you know uh raising capital and, and investment talking to you know investors and vcs like uh, it, it it blows my mind like how big of a difference i would have made and one of those is you know coming into the meeting and one, the confidence in, you know, when they ask you, you know, how much are you, how much are you raising and, and, uh, and not, you know, not, uh, answering with, well, between two and $3 million and, you know, blah, like having, we're raising $2.25 million to do this, this, and this. And even if you don't know if it's 2.2 or if it's, you know, 1 million or whatever, but also coming in and saying, you know, like we're, we're an esports startup, let's, you know, the goal here is for us to, you know, for us to get to know one another and for you to understand, you know, my company and what we're building and why we're raising money. And, you know, I want to make sure that we're not wasting one another's time because I know your time is valuable and, you know, my time is, is valuable running a company. And so, you know, let's set the, you know, let's make sure we're, we set this on the right, you know, track and understand exactly, you know, how can I, you know, help you evaluate know my company the best or evaluate this opportunity the best what do you need from me Mm. to you know to take this back to your partners and take this you know and put this in front of your you know your colleagues and and for and you know and at what and if there's at point in this you know conversation you feel there isn't a good fit you know let's let's um you know let's call it what it is and not waste each other's time and vcs they they thoroughly, you know, like love that sort of mindset of, all right, this is a straight shooter. When things are going bad, like the things that that VCs worry about is like if things are going bad at a certain point in your company, are you going to tell them? Are you going to talk to them? Or are you going to hide it? And so if you come into that first meeting and you're shooting straight yeah. from the hip and you're saying it exactly, you know, you know, that gives them a sense of okay, this person is not you know bullshitting me. This person is not kind of know uh is, is you know i i can get even if we're not even in you know we're not the right fit right now this is someone i'm going to remember because i they have confidence in what they're saying and they're also not trying to just you know fill the air with you know rose colored glasses sort of deal so mm, yeah and like you were saying if if nothing else what you're working on right now is an opportunity to build your skills and experience to do something in the future you know gimlet media has a fantastic startup called The Pitch. And initially I learned everything about how to pitch to investors and what the lingo was by listening to that podcast. That was my favorite information. That was my favorite. Like Gimlet is by far my favorite podcast. Like 
the start the esports startup our podcast it is mm. it, it was created solely based off of uh gimlet startup uh podcast because they're oh, there you go yeah so their first podcast that gimlet ever you know created was uh, uh you know was was literally a tell-all uh and you know a, a insight into you know gimlet starting their company raising venture capital you know going through the whole process and giving you an insight into what they're going through and that was the you know the the entire mindset of why we I wanted to do the esports startup and uh so yeah I mean, that just and the pitch is another really good example and to, nowadays like there's so many you know, I, like my one thing if if uh you know the team around here would say like what what is one thing that Matt constantly you know yeah, uh, kind of, uh, you know, is is annoying you guys with, or putting in front of you, or you know, messaging you about. It's always a podcast that they should listen to. Um, you know, and <laughs> I, I'm of the belief that, you know, you should. There's so many good podcasts out right now, especially around business and startups and you know, esports stuff like that. That you should always, you know, always be either actively or passively listening and kind of. There's certain podcasts that you should put in one category or another, but you should always, you know, have, uh, you know, a podcast if you can have something going because there's so much knowledge and there's so much that I've learned, just like you learn on like, the pitch that I've learned just through podcasts. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. And a really interesting thing that came out of that the pitch that I specifically remember, I think it was fairly early in their episodes, is, you know, a founder and CEO pitching something to the investors and one of them very clearly stating, look, I, this isn't a market that I'm interested in, but I'm hyper interested in you. Mm-hmm. And if this startup does fail, I want you to be a CEO of one of my other ventures. Yep. So there you go. You know, that's an opportunity straight away to put in your back pocket because they did what you were saying. You know, they're very straightforward and, you know, they're very clear and concise in the information. They understood their products and they, you know, identified very quickly to these investors that they were a fantastic leader. Yeah, really, that that's you know, really all it is. Like themselves. that's because early in the early days of a start of a startup, like your your idea, or what you're building, one is going to change. Like ninety nine times out of hundred, you're going to pivot. It's going to be, you know, what you're start what you're building right now during the first year is going to be drastically different, probably year two and three. And the investors know that as well. They know that you know it. What you're what you're pitching me on right now is not going to be what's going to be a billion dollar company. You can look at Slack, you can look at Intercom, you can look at all the big, you know, companies out there. They've all, you know, started as one thing and pivoted to something else. But what they do care about is is you you in the founding team and that, you know, that really it's the mar- it's the size of the market that you're going after because you're not going to really change, you know, the market that you're focused on won't really change um you know you're not going to pivot out, outside of that more than likely for the company that you're raising you might pivot ver- you know uh, with are you b2b or you b2c or you know but but what you know what they're investing in is you and so if you can come across you know in a way and present yourself very you know knowledgeable of the industry that you're a expert in the space that you know when when you know, it comes to understanding what your industry needs, what it's looking for, you know, where the opportunity is, uh, where it's heading, that you know what you're talking about and that you're the person for the job, but also that you're someone that is, 
you know, credible and, and, uh, and, you know, and that they can trust and to an extent that, you know, that you're, you know, that you're not just going to, you know, uh, that you're going to, you're telling them how it is and you're, that you're someone that, you know, they can believe mm-hmm. in. And that's really what it comes down. It's like, present yourself as someone that, that investors can believe in and that they can put confidence in giving you their money that, again, isn't their money either. Like, invest. another thing that a lot of people don't realize is investors aren't investing their money. They're investing someone else's money as well. And they have to invest that money. Like, they're required to invest that amount of money that they have, you know, from their limited partners or their LPs has to be invested. And so they're looking for people to give that money to. And, and, and so if you can give them enough reason to believe in you and that you're, you're also another big problem, you know, uh, another big uh, area. And I was touching this real quick that people don't realize is investors also, they're, they're not going to make their uh, VCs don't make money off of, you know, hundred million dollar companies. They make money off of the, you know, the five, $10 billion companies and, and having one or two unicorns as part of their portfolio. And if you, even if you are like, well, this company has no chance at being anything more than like a 50 million or a lifestyle business or a hundred million dollar company, either you shouldn't be raising capital or you need to present it in a way that's like, that this is a billion dollar opportunity, but you're going to start with a much smaller focus. But the opportunity is, you know, this company has the chance if everything goes the right way and we get lucky and we go down this path to get become a five, ten billion dollar company. And that's what investors get excited about. So I was want to touch mm-hmm. on that because I think a lot of people kind of they don't realize one on the investor side, but also that, you know, always, always set the bar super high as far as like how far you want to take your company. And, and even if you have, you know, you don't think that there's any chance. Uh, to get there, investors get excited about that. Yeah, and I guess it's that's you know leads into another uh, topic about understanding what stage your startup is and who your investors looking to invest into. You know, if they're an angel or a seed, they're most likely investing in the founder and the product and the potential. Whereas you know maybe if they're a VC, especially in a Series A or B, they're investing in growing the cash flow that already exists and you know working with a large company. But I, I wanted to um, change tact a little bit to go back to one of your job roles, as, as mentioned before during the introduction, about Azubu. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd love for you to explain a little bit more behind the scenes because there's so much discussion these days about competitors to Twitch TV, you know, about caffeine raising um, $100 million, about Facebook pushing into the market with Facebook gaming, you know, YouTube with YouTube gaming and, and pushing their streaming aspects, et cetera, et cetera. Can Mixer, you explain yeah. a little bit about... Yeah, can you explain a little bit about about Azubu and it being an early stage Twitch competitor, and and maybe a quick synopsis of, of what went wrong and, and what happened to yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Azubu is a is one of the best examples of what bad uh, investors can do to a company, and what I mean by like bad investors, you know, and and this is also an example of when you're raising capital and you're raising money from investors you know, never lose control of the company. And so when I came into Zubu, I joined, you know, it's like there, I think it was the third employee after they had restructured. So they had, you know, kind of restructured the entire team. They brought in uh, a new CEO and then COO, Jason Katz. And then I was uh, hired uh, right after that. 
And so I brought on, you know, came on as content uh, lead, uh, uh, content and marketing and product, it seemed like at the time, and brought on my entire team from Leakpedia. I think, I think it, you know, after about three months, I had brought, you know, hired probably 12 or 13 people that uh, worked for me at, at Leakpedia. And, and, um, and so, you know, I came in with, uh, and we came in, you know, with this understanding that, you know, uh, Zubu had these, you know, really big investors and that they, they were about to receive, you know, 30 plus million dollars in investment from Sapinda and, uh, which we didn't know much about, but we knew, you know, that they were a, a big, uh, you know, that they had a lot of money and that they, you know, it, they kept, uh, Ian, who's the CEO at the time, kept reiterating that, you know, uh, that Sapinda is on Savile Road in London, and this is where all the you know the you know billionaires uh, work out of, and that these guys have tons of money, and we'll never run out of money, and we'll never have to worry about money, and all these things. And uh, obviously, that you know wasn't the case, but the problem was that that mindset from from the top, from Ian and Jason and the you know executives was, you know, we have you know endless amounts of runway we have endless amounts of uh, of money and so you know go out and you know spend like you couldn't you know you you never uh you know spent before and go out and you know if you if there are you know teams or streamers out there that are you know aren't being paid on twitch but we can acquire you know bring them over to azubu for a hundred thousand dollars you know well let's do it like th that was sort of the mindset of you know the the leadership there was you know go mm -hmm. out and spend as much money as you need to don't worry that the product isn't where it needs to be don't worry that you know the broadcast experience is poor that that you know that we're in a really good opportunity in terms of competing with only one other streaming platform at the time that wasn't owned by Amazon. And that, you know, was, uh, you know, we were really the only other competitor. Um, you know, YouTube was starting to, starting to spin up a little bit, but, you know, we still had the rights to, you know, the LCS. And, um, and so we were streaming that and, and we provided really good feed um, and stream quality was great, but the rest of the experience was awful. But instead, let's spend all that money on bringing in, you know, talent as quickly as possible. And the reason for that was because you have investors that are telling you basically what to do and telling you to, uh, you know, that you need to go out and just bring in, you know, they the, our investors would, uh, Sabina would ask for basically like a list of all the top streamers, Twitch and uh, and all the top teams, and they would want you know that entire list to be uh, sent to them weekly, and then they would want to you know find out how we could acquire them and how we like what we needed to do to go uh, you know to go after them. And uh, even though the product was never ready, and even though there wasn't, we weren't able to uh, um, you know we weren't able to support them, and so the. And and that was the mindset from and typically when you're running a company and you have you know your investors are, are advisors and they're guiding you and they're giving some mentoring you but in Sapenda and Azubu's you know uh, situation they were you know they were telling Ian and executives exactly what to do and and you know our mm -hmm. the executives were were doing it and um and so my you know my mindset during all this was. You know, this is what sparred all the interest with esports one, and why I started esports one was, 
you know, if we're the our opportunity right now is not to uh, is not to just bring on you know any streamer that we can and and uh, and just have name recognition, but it's that we need to provide a better experience for you know viewers when they're watching these streams. And so what? But I couldn't get any product. I couldn't get any development resources to do this. And so I, I literally hired my own developer to be a part of content marketing. And he, uh, his name was Brant, and he, you know, worked just with our team. And he built, he would build out micro sites that would, uh, that we would then embed the Zubu stream on, and then we would put live stats all around the stream. And I would have, you know, other people on the team that would sit there and they would manually you know, input stats in real time on the stream. And these. These microsites perform better than anything else on Azubu, and and it showed sort of the, you know, the area where where you know, opportunity was versus you know listening. You know what we needed to focus on was the user experience, making a good product, making a good, you know, making sure that users, you know, enjoyed what you know to pull them away for someone as big as Twitch, like they enjoyed, had reason to use uh, Azubu. And it wasn't just because they wanted to watch somebody. Because if we're, you know, if you're paying for someone to stream on your platform, you know, your experience damn well better better be, you know, uh, greater than where you're taking them from, uh, or at least, you know, equal to. Because otherwise, you're going to start, you know, establishing resentfulness. And you're going to have community members outraged and upset, and you know, and so. And that was the area issue that we ran into uh, was we kept, you know, we focused on just bringing in talent and didn't focus on, you know, improving product. And, you know, and that goes back to any startup and building out a startup is you want, you always want users. You're, you know, you're going to want users. You're going to want revenue. Those are always going to be priorities and you need to, you know, account and, and roadmap and, and have the right model, you know, built out for that. But what you have to, you know, you have to first focus on is, you know, uh, is the experience, are the, is the foundation there? Are the, you know, are, are the bones there for, uh, you know, to start bringing in users and that you can keep them on your platform? You know, do you have the right, you know, uh, mechanics and systems in place to handle revenue and handle growth? And, you know, you have to focus on what you, on, you know, starting at the, you know, ground floor and really, you know, building out, you know, Ian would always say that we're building the plane while we're flying it. And this is something that mm -hmm. people say all the time, but it was like, mm -hmm. but we don't need to be like, in Azubu's case, why do you, why do we need to be building out the plane while we're flying it? Let's build something else. Let's not even build a plane. Let's build a ship. Let's build, you know, something else um, that, you know, because we have the opportunity to do that, like, and so that's the same thing. Sense of uh, a startup position, don't, you know, unless you absolutely have to, like, you shouldn't ever be building while, you know, while you're flying, and 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 you know, just for the hell of it, you should, you know, establish the foundation of what you do really well, and then iterate off of it. Like, do one thing really well, and really nail that. Put that in front of your users. Have them talk to, talk to your users, get the feedback, get direction from them. They're your guiding light, and then you you iterate, you expand, you grow from there. You don't try to do it all at once, and that's what Azubu tried to do: pull in all these people, streamers on the platform, and without any way to hand manage it and and to keep them there. They had zero product market fit, 
and then Sapenda just became, you know, uh, you know, they just they're corrupt and they're just uh they stopped paying, you know, stopped giving us money. They stopped like they they were supposed to, and it just became a nightmare. And so I'm glad I got out there when I did, but uh, but uh, but yeah, it was a growing opportunity. It was something that you know I'm not uh, you know I'm not embarrassed or, or resentful for because I I met everyone. You know, there's so many people I met within the space that came from Zubu, and it's it's made me in you know to who I am now. And uh, I've also just learned a hell of a lot working there. So. Mm. Do you do you think it uh, is also the fact of raising too much capital? Well, it's not even they it's weren't even it yeah. It's not even they were raising like yeah. I mean that's that. But the thing is, Sapenda never Sapenda never gave us all that money. So you know they the whole thing of Sapenda like uh, that Azubu raised thirty six million or thirty nine million dollars or whatever. Like mm. that was that was bullshit. Like they they didn't raise any money. Like they Sapenda mm. would would feed in money monthly they would send us you know a million dollars which is ridiculous that we we were spending that much um you know that soon in in the the lifespan of the company but they would they would send they would wire us a million dollars at the end of each month so that we could pay cover payroll pay our partners pay you know all of the streaming all of our talent um and uh, and they would do it just monthly and so at the end of each month, it became a, you know, it was like a mad scramble by Ian and by executives to go, like, when is Sapenda going to wire us the money? Why haven't they wired it yet? You know, oh, Lars, who's the, was the chairman, I think it's in jail now or whatever, like, you know, oh, he's on a, he's on a trip to, you know, Africa to, you know, mine blood diamonds right now and won't be back for a week. Like, so now we're not going to be able to pay our streamers or our broadcasters or whatever it might be, whatever excuse, but that was, you know, mm. that was the situation. And, and, uh, you know, I don't think if the raising, raising money too quick is only an issue if one, yeah, you don't know how to use it, but, or, or spend it, but you don't just because you have the money doesn't mean you have to spend it. But also if the money, if the money that you're raising, if you're raising a large amount of money, if it ends up not, you know, if it ends up lo- forcing you to lose control of your company, well, that's a problem. And it also, if it if you're raising a valuation that you'll never be able to achieve, or it's going to take you so much time to achieve, then that's also a problem. And so, um, so you have to just make, you know, that's why there's stages to raising funding. So, I, but that wasn't the issue. It was. It was, you know, executive and then the investment who the investors at Azubu. But thinking back to yourself and esports one in the market, it seems like there's a never ending list of founders that work in more, I guess you could say public and, and creative style companies. And this is a this is a thought that I've been kind of going over. So just for just for you and, and also for those listening, it's not a fully formed opinion. So I'm gonna be thinking while I'm asking this question. But <laughs> okay. it seems to me that there's a there's a lack of Founders who are interested in other things um, that maybe aren't quite as sexy on the surface. There's so many founders that are creating esports teams, esports events, talent management agencies, player management companies, etc. But there seems to be a lack of people who are looking at the data, the technology, and the things that happen behind the scenes. The dare I say, you know, more engineering, more nerdy style stuff. Obviously, that's a lot of your experience in the market. But what do you think makes the difference like like why did you go for this kind of thing is there some sort of inherent um push or drive from you internally is it is it the way that you know you were you were brought up and the way you like data to work or yeah i'm trying to understand yeah. really what's the differentiating factor here 
Yeah, I mean, I you know, uh, I had my fair share of uh, opportunity to uh, you know get into on the team side right when you know the franchising was kicking up. Uh, you know, so I you know going in the team direction or event direction would have been you know would have been a a, a route that it was available to me. But um, but coming from one, I so I'm a huge advocate on you know when when I think community and building a building a community um as part of your company is a very uh is an area that a lot of startups don't you know don't put a lot of attention into early on and so you know you look at if you look at like different startups that put uh that have like all these big blog sites that they they come out with all these different you know different articles that and they're trying to build out a following of people that might not use their product, but they're trying to just, you know, get, build out kind of a user base or community. And I think that works to an extent. And I think, you know, podcasting is another way that definitely works, but I also think, you know, providing a, providing some sort of solution or platform that, you know, is focused on and around a community is something I'm, I'm very passionate about and very, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, I enjoy doing, and so that's why we have Esportspedia as part of Esports One, because you know my start, you know how I got started into esports was, or really got my you know start in esports was based off of Leakpedia and you know having a, a wiki that was ran by the community and for the community, and so you know when I started Esportspedia as part of Esports One, you know it I did so without. You know, having having zero advertisements on the site, and you know, it was a zero revenue generating company or you know website because it. I wanted it to be community first, and I wanted if the community was going to be contributing to it, I shouldn't be making revenue off of it. And so, the reason, and that was very important on my end uh, because you know, I wanted to have. You know that's how yeah that's how I got my start and I thought that was and I know how valuable that is to have a a supporting kind of you know uh, community construct whenever starting a company, but what mm. you know what how that kind of you know kind of steam or kind of uh, steamrolled from there was you know I knew very well the importance that stats and data would play in esports and while I was at a Zubu. You know, we would. Uh, I I flew and I set up meetings with Stats Inc., who basically handles, you know, all the traditional sports. Uh, it's one of the big, you know, companies in traditional sports. They own the rights to like Major League Baseball and a bunch of the different traditional sports uh, stats and, and database. And you know, we would meet with them to try to get them involved in esports. And uh, and you know, I got to see kind of how the value that a you know, a company you know, would provide to traditional sports, and all they did was they just housed the data, and then they would license it back to the networks or license it to the teams, and they didn't do anything fun with it. They just built, you know, an API, and and so I was like, mm -hmm. well, we need to do this at a Zubu because that's how we're going to, you know, get it, you know, taken advantage uh, against Twitch is by providing more statistics and information on the screen and around the screen. Anyway, and that so that's what kind of kicked off, uh, you know, why I went, you know, this direction within esports one, you know, or e with esports one because I know the power of data and statistics, but also 
I saw an opportunity in the how that data was being captured and you know that there lacked you know there was a big gap in terms of how you know how it was being analyzed and you know what the engagement of you know viewers when they're watching the streams like you know why can't every viewer have a different viewing experience based off of the type of uh, fan they are if they're a hardcore fan or someone that's new to esports and and you know or you know if you're a a, a team you know you know why does why does a team have to spend you know tens of thousands of dollars a month or a year or whatnot you know hiring analysts and and you know all these different resource platforms let's provide them with a you know a system that they can use in real time that makes it easy for whether you're a professional team or you're you know an amateur or collegiate team you know give them resources to to better understand how they're playing and you know and that scales to event organizers commentators and so all that data just there needs to be one way to not only really manage it and ingest it and and analyze it but also building the products that sit on top of it and that was what was really exciting to me and that all started from the mindset of well let's create listen we need a community that you know that uh, gives us sort of the you know the first step into building this ecosystem within esports and if we have the data that hits all the other areas and we've established a community we can then start to, you know, position ourselves to sit alongside the teams and the event organizers and the game publishers and not just be one of the many, but, you know, one of the few data providers versus one of the hundreds of teams and one of the, you know, hundreds of event organizers. And, and yeah, mm -hmm. and, and plus it's an area that I know very well being engineering. And so, yeah, I mean, I... And also, I think teams right now are overvalued. So I think there's, you know, there's going to be a, sh a market correction there anyway. But, uh, but yeah, this is. I think this is where the billion, the ten billion dollar opportunity is more than anything else is is being the, you know, being the data platform for esports. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. And I guess I I wanted to get a little bit more information from you. Um, just kind of, I guess the last part I want to talk about on the data plays. I guess the lack of the ease of finding data in esports right now you know if you're if you're working with a traditional sport like the Australian Football League here in Australia the AFL supplies very comprehensive data to all of their organizations that play underneath them all of their teams but as well as to the public about you know who's watching the tournament how many people are watching each game their ticket sales their revenue year and year um, you know, getting in information about their community building projects and the numbers of people, where they live, what their spending habits are, et cetera. But within esports, it's often a lot more closed. You know, if you're trying to get information from Twitch or from Riot, they're often not going to tell you how many players they have in Australia, how where they live, you know, how they're engaging, what teams they're interested in and such. Can you touch on maybe some ways that you're helping to solve that or some ways that you think others should solve these issues? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, there there are platform companies that are starting to kind of look at, at how, like, Fan AI is really is a good example of, you know, trying to address a little bit of this opportunity and kind of bridging the gap of understanding, you know, uh, you know who's using, who's watching your stream and how they're engaging with your, you know, with your broadcast and, you know, who, mm. what areas are located, but also, you know, that there's a lot of uh, limitations in terms of, you know, what these companies uh, can show because, 
there's still a big disconnect between the you know the broadcast platforms the stream the streamers and the teams the game publishers who own all the ip and you know and then all the third party platforms so there's no you know there's no uh interconnection there and you know in traditional sports you have you know a tv network and and that's it like um and you know and then they license it to the league which is you know nfl or you know and it's and it, and that's taken decades to kind of establish and and kind of perfect and figure out and they still you know there's still a lot of issues there like you still don't truly know how many people are watching the t you know tv and you know you don't know you know you have a good idea of age demographics but there's still a lot of you know there's still a lot of limitations in terms of uh you know understanding just television viewing and it's starting to improve with online viewership but that's an area that that esports is and just you know broadcast streaming in general is 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 going to get better at but it's also you know it's it's a bit more tricky nowadays with all the privacy concerns and gdpr and and that's going to you know people are going to have to better navigate and understand how we can still you know uh, still consume or or aggregate you know who our fans are and who's watching and how we can best engage our audience by based off of how you know who they are and how we you know understand uh, what they're watching while also adhering to the you know various privacy you know policies around the world um and that's not an answer to that you know one way that we're kind of we're looking at that is by is by you know establishing you know a, a more centralized kind of esports uh uh, platform um, that you know scales with each game, and so you know, and that will eventually tie into you know user authentication systems, and it'll be you know uh, you know your your uh, esports login uh, basically, and that will you know, mm. and that will be kind of our way of of addressing that uh, you know that area, but it's also one that you know the more the <clears throat> from our standpoint, the more understanding that we can have about who's watching someone's stream, the better, you know, we can engage that, that viewer. And believe me, it, there's a lot of limitations in terms of what we can understand from Twitch and, you know, and the different streaming platforms. And I think it's, it's something that everyone's aware of. And I think there's just, there's various ways to, to that people are trying to solve it, but it's just it's really just going to take time. But thinking back to, I guess, the first topic we talked about on the podcast about LinkedIn and, and content generation, I want to get a little bit deeper than just asking, you know, where do you get your information from and how do you share? Because that's pretty obvious to most people in the esports market. We're all fairly connected. But I wanted to touch on the trade-off of hype versus actual information. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this happen quite a bit across different social medias in esports, people sharing information that doesn't tell the full story, uh, making comparisons that maybe aren't quite fair, you know, comparing single prize pools or, you know, comparing prize pools to earnings or not in traditional sports, you know, saying that, hey, this player earned $100,000, but, you know, negating the fact that they're not earning a $2 million a year salary, for example. Yeah. So I wanted to I wanted to ask you a little bit about it. You know, how do you go around uh, making sure that the data you're sharing is fair to all the markets that is representing the industry properly? And I guess, you know, we're all looking for extra reach. We're all looking for extra comments, but trying to avoid those clickbait style pieces that you do see sometimes from esports consultants on social media. Yeah, I mean, I think you know my, you know, the 
approach on my end is if the information is providing, you know, there's very, well, there's really no uh, content that uh, the content that I actually build out myself, you know, that I'm, uh, it's not, you know, being shared or, or, you know, pulled from other, uh, you know, other resources or uh, kind of aggregated, but it's actually, you know, a list of investors or a list of startups or, you know, uh, things like that, you know, that's being pulled from, you know, uh, you know, reputable, you know, re- you know, resources and aggregates and that, that will provide, you know, uh, a lot of value to the people that are, uh, that are asking for it and how LinkedIn's algorithm works is you have to, you know, you have to do, uh, you know, provide this in a way where users can only get it by if they comment, because if you put the link in the actual post itself, your LinkedIn, the algorithm will, you know, will be, uh, you'll be negatively, you know, detracted um, uh, through LinkedIn's mm. algorithms because they don't, they don't allow or don't like people linking externally. And so the only way to get around that is by people commenting, plus it puts it in front of more people. So, um, so that's been, you know, that's been my way of, of kind of growing out kind of the, the resources that being shared. And I've used that to kind of start building out, you know, startup communities and uh and you know kind of more ways for people to engage and and uh and chat with one another as far as sort of the other content uh and you know other metrics and information that's out there you know you have to it's uh it's a balancing game of of taking you know of uh of what you know what information that is available you know my my goal is to is to build awareness around esports in the industry, and you know, be seen as a you know, one of the you know vocal you know thought you know leaders within the space, and to provide insight that better informs people outside of esports. It's not you know it's not necessarily directed at people that are you know diehard esports you know veterans that have been in the space for years. It's at you know people that are trying to understand the industry more and and so you know how you frame that information and present it to the community or to the users you know if that helps them understand the space and get more out of like wow this industry is growing wow we should be i should be aware of you know where this is heading and it's coming from mm-hmm. a reputable platform that has done their resort research then yeah then all be it you know it's not you know, there's a hundred different factors into, you know, how many viewers watch, you know, the world championship. And yeah, we all know that, you know, that League of Legends, you know, worlds, you know, uh, was, you know, spanned across 10 or eight days and is being compared to, a, you know, a four hour Super Bowl. And, and so everyone's saying that the viewers are three times Super Bowl when we all know that, you know, the how that comparison is being done is, is vastly different. But it also puts into perspective, you know, that, yeah, this, the, we did have that. There are that many people in the world that are watching esports right now. Yeah, the, the time frame, much different. But the, the user base is, you know, the amount of users and fans is global. It may, you know, and it's, it, you know, spans a lot farther reach and whatnot. So if that helps conceptualize and understand and visualize like how big esports is so that people pay it more attention and that, you know, are, are willing to start. All right. Now I'm going to start doing, 
you know, my own research. Now I'm going to start diving into the space myself. And, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to give you, you know, to, you know, give you every step of, of the way and to tell you, you know, everything that's happening and what you should know about esports. But I am going to give enough, you know, I'm going to provide as much value as I can directly relating to the space that helps it grow. Mm. And you know, I, I mentioned something along those lines quite a long time ago in a podcast in saying that the numbers don't need to be fluffed for esports. They're yeah. impressive enough as they are already. So so it's about being confident in your numbers and presenting the facts. This is similar to what you were saying about with investors before. You know, if you're upfront and honest with people, ultimately you're going to win out in the long run. And I think that esports is growing at such a rapid rate and the numbers are so impressive, you know, a la 35 plus million dollar tournaments and, you know, in Dota 2 and 30 million in Fortnite and, you know, these influencers that are making a million dollars a month off Twitch subscriptions and ad revenue and sponsor products and such that you don't need to make these um, comparisons that, you know, kind of at their core aren't true because it's impressive yeah. enough as it is. Yeah. And I think that also goes to though, like you have to, like, I'm, I don't have the ability to, you know, pull how many viewers were watching uh, an event or, you know, how many fans there are in the NFL or, you know, that's where I rely on, you know, super data and Nielsen and, you know, the different, you know, kind of uh, analytics and research platforms that are out there uh, to tell me, you know, what those numbers are uh, and metrics are and do, you know, and so, you know, I agree they, you know, I don't know how, you know, all the ins and outs of how, they determine the different, you know, their different metrics and and numbers. But I know that they, um, that I mean, they're the reputable sources. And I think if if we kind of look at, you know, who who have built the reputation as as a you know analytics leader and and uh, and that you can trust and rely on the information they're providing, you know, that's that that's enough to tell the story of where where esports is heading. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, too bad. Um... Sometimes I think in this podcast it's too bad that I have people I agree with quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to I'd love to have a debate on this podcast. And that's for anyone listening, I guess, too. I've I've been putting it out there for quite some time is I would love to share a debate on this podcast of two people that, that don't agree because I think it's a fantastic part of esports that, you know, needs to be uncovered. Because I think that people are so protective of the growing industry, often they'll, you know, jump on and maul people who are critical of other people. But I think, you know, within Within reason, I think being a, a little bit critical is a good idea. Yeah, and I think you're gonna. You're, that's gonna. You know, with um, within with esports, it's going. It's going to be hard to. You know, you go to a conference or an event right now. It's hard. You know, it's hard to get a lot of people that are going to be uh, debating on both sides of the of the construct there because they're all kind of everyone right now is still kind of on that the bandwagon per se, and so. Um, mm. you know, you, cause there's not, you know, you can find conversation around like players associations and, you know, game publishers and, you know, data ownership and IP ownership. And there's different things that can, you know, people can, but there, yeah, I mean, there's, there's still certain areas that a lot of people are kind of on the same, same page as like, all right, this is where esports is heading. We're all in this together. You know, if the, if the debate or conversation is, is, you know, uh, provides, you know, a, a if both areas and both sides of the the conversation, you know, is things that, you know, helps the industry grow and provides value, then then all all for it. But I think I think that will come with time. I think there's going to be you know, 
many more people as the space grows. There's going to be a lot more people that are coming in and and uh, to to give their opinion and tell you know everyone else that's been in the space for for quite some time why they're wrong. So, mm, mm. yeah. So what's what's coming up next for for Matt and Esports One? Yeah. So we're uh, we got some uh, big announcement probably when this comes out. We'll, um, uh, we have already announced uh, what we're doing with Acer. Uh, and so without kind of getting too far in details, they, Acer will have, uh, have some pretty exciting news, uh, will probably already, uh, have been announced, but something that we're, uh, involved with and have been working on for, for uh, about a year and a half now. Um, and so that's exciting for us and, uh, we're, you know, growing rapidly. We have our, you know, fundraising coming to a close. We have, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of big partnerships, uh, just got back from, from, uh, a long trip overseas, uh, working out some, some pretty big deals for us, uh, uh, on the other side of, uh, the globe. And, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have our, we have our Twitch extension that will be released by TwitchCon. We have, uh, you know, uh, a, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of cool things coming out. So yeah, I mean, stay tuned, check us out on, um, uh, uh com and, uh, obviously across social and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, cause it's, it's an exciting time for the company right now to say the least. We're at that, we're at that point where we're really kind of, uh, we're moving from kind of a product company and a startup to kind of that next phase. So, mm. uh, so yeah, stay tuned. And if anyone would like to follow you on your semi-famous LinkedIn or any <laughs> other social medias to get some photos of your dog, uh, where yeah. can they do so? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's, fans at all but yeah i mean it's just matt it's matthew gunnan or matt gunnan uh yeah just yeah if you search g-u-n-n-i-n you can really find me because no one has a last name gunnan um because uh, it's, it's actually you know it's a good thing and a bad thing because uh it's easy to find uh find me but um but it's also one of the everyone gunnan is just a, it's a weird last name but um but yeah just search for me on social and you'll uh you'll find me on there and um yeah I'm uh I usually post uh, on on LinkedIn Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So uh, if you're looking to keep up with this, uh, the industry or esports or news, there I just posted a uh, a new spreadsheet um, that I'm sharing uh, about the list of all the the startups that have raised esports startups that have raised funding um, uh, recently. So uh, so check it out. Yeah, fantastic. So many people are trying to raise capital right now. So I would definitely suggest anyone checks out that list. I've Definitely been checking it out, and I think we've been listed on here too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic tool or, or method to at least gather more information and learn about the industry, if nothing else. And yeah, I've been a follower of you on on LinkedIn for quite some time now, and, and engage with your posts. So yeah, I would suggest anyone else do the same. I appreciate that, Chris, and I enjoyed being on here. Best of luck, man. Yeah, thank you very much, and thank you for listening in to the Big Esports Podcast. This has been episode number 51 with Matthew Gunnan, the CEO and founder of Esports One. If you want to see any of the show notes or any of the topics to what we've talked about today, get any links to Matthew and his fantastic, insightful LinkedIn posts or otherwise, you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash 51, the number's 51 for episode 51. Thanks for listening in. Like I said before, we will have the someone senior from Phase Sales coming on fairly soon to continue the topic around sales in esports, and I can't wait for that podcast to come out. So stay tuned. Thanks, and bye for now. 
Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg.